Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, musicians. Nice song selection this morning. I don't know that the, the gospel could be clearer based on the text of those songs that we just sang. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into our, our um, passage this morning. Let's pray together. Our fa- Father, we come to you again, and it's good for us to do that because we bring need. And you uh, supply for our every need. And we give you thanks for that. We ask that your spirit would be at work. Again, we ask that it would be at work in our midst. That you would communicate the truths of your word to us. That it would penetrate hearts. That we wouldn't just think differently. uh, But that we would live and love more in alignment with your love towards sinners. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, we are in the book of Genesis. We were in John's gospel for much of the spring and into June. And in July, we had some guest preachers preach. And now we're back in Genesis, looking at the life of Abraham Abraham this fall. Abram, Abraham, his name will change in the story. And we'll get there. I'll probably call him both Abram and Abraham in the meantime. But just really quick review. Last fall, we looked at Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And what happens in those first few chapters is God creates the world. He creates people to live in the garden in fellowship with God and in fellowship with one another and all of creation. The the whole place is marked by interlocking harmony because everything's properly related to God. And when Adam and Eve rebel and disobey the Lord, it brings about an unraveling of creation and all of the order that was there. Last fall, you may remember, we likened it to to Back to the Future Part 2. You remember when Marty McFly goes back to the alternate 1985? He comes back from the future, and it's it's just a mess. It's recognizably Hill Valley, but the school has burned down. There's drive-by shootings. Biff is in charge of the whole place. It's just... It's just a mess. Dumpster fires everywhere. It's always dark. Um, It's just, it's it's a complete mess. But it's recognizably Hill Valley. And that's kind of what's going on in these early chapters of Genesis. It's recognizably God's creation. There's image bearers of God doing good things. They're building cities. They're organizing. They're getting married. They're having children. They're doing all of the things that God called them to do. But it's twisted. It's twisted. Lamech takes multiple wives and gloats of his vengeance for anybody that would just throw an insult his way. There's jealousy, there's strife, there's pride. Things are moving forward, but they're moving forward in this twisted way. They're spiraling and kind of falling into disarray. Listen, and so so we come to Genesis chapter 12 a bit depressed, looking at all that's happened in those first 11 chapters. Listen to how Christopher Wright puts it. He says, you know, after Genesis chapter 11, what can God do next? Something that only God could have thought of. He sees an elderly, childless couple in the land of Babel and decides to make them the fountainhead, the launch pad of his whole mission of cosmic redemption. We can almost hear the sharp intake of breath among the heavenly hosts when the astonishing plan was revealed. A new world, ultimately a new creation, begins 
in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. But it's a new world that burst out of the womb of the old. The old world portrayed in Genesis 1 through 11. And, and get this, that womb is barren, right? All of this is coming out of Sarai and her line. This is the great miracle of, this, of God's plan. Like just as God spoke into the formlessness and emptiness of creation, back in Genesis, let there be light and he begins organizing and shaping, he's going to speak into the, into the barrenness of Sarai's womb to bring forth a people that will usher in his new creation. And so that was last week's sermon, Genesis chapter 11, the end of that, through verse 3. Now in verse 4, we see Abram's response to God's call on Abram. And I think his response in this passage is going to bring into sharp focus the Christian life, that in a sense, Abram's journey is our journey. And specifically, I want us to focus on three things, grace, gratitude, and going. So grace, gratitude, going. Those are the three points for this morning. First, let's consider grace. Now, it's important to remember, Abram is a pagan, a moon-worshipping pagan, and God calls him and promises to do big things through him, a new creation. In verse 4, Abram responds, and it says that he went, like God says go, and Abram goes, as the Lord told him, and his uh, Lot, his nephew, goes with him. We'll, We'll learn more about Lot as the story unfolds. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So the journey from Haran to the land of Canaan is about 500 miles. And go, it probably took his, he and his caravan about a month to make it from Haran, which is in present-day Turkey, to the land of Canaan. And, uh, there, you know, the pace, a car- typical caravan pace is like 20 miles a day. So they're moving along. They make it to the land. In verse 6, it says this. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, north of where, this is north of where Jerusalem would be, and he goes to the oak of Morah. And it says as well that the Canaanites lived there at the time. Now, oak trees, these were like some of the tallest points in this area. And so they were considered these sacred sites. They were like pagan worship sites. They were considered um, like an axis point between heaven and earth. And that the gods met humanity, the, the gods met people at these sacred sites, these oak trees. And so Abram goes there, and guess what happens? God shows up. The Lord appears to, to Abram three times in the Abram's, Abraham story. Here, chapter 17, chapter 18. And here God shows up. And, it, and this is what he says to Abram. This is important. To your offspring, verse 7, I will give this land. There's the promise. And guess what? It's packed with grace, with gift. Now, now what, what do I mean when I say grace? I mean, in some ways, it's hard to kind of define the term. I mean, undeserved favor is a good definition. But have you ever been in a position where a superior or an authority or a person in power over you extended to you not what you deserved, but favor and blessing? That's grace. And God in this this passage is is extending to Abram grace. Now, do do you see it? 
There's two tension points in this story. There's two obstacles in this Abraham story that are going to be constant, um, constant tension points in the story. It's land, and the obstacle there is the Canaanites, and it's children. And the obstacle there is the, the, the difficulty of Abram and Sarai to have children. And I know that in, in, within our congregation, we've had, we, we have folks that have struggled with infertility and are continuing to struggle. And it's a, it, it's a struggle. And it was a particular struggle in this age, in this agrarian setting, which we talked about a little bit last week. But those are the two challenges that Abram has. Land and offspring, and they got the Canaanites and the difficulty of having children, not to mention their old age at this point, 75 plus years old. So first, how is God going to deal with the offspring issue? And the answer is amazing grace, gift. God is going to miraculously conceive a a son, Isaac, with Abraham, with Sarai. And it's supernatural. It's a miracle. Every ethnic Jew is a walking miracle. This is an act of God that that Abraham and Sarai have Isaac, who we'll, we'll get to eventually. And then the second thing is the land. And what does God say here? He says it explicitly in verse 7. I will give you this land. Now, as noted, there's residents in the land. And so there's, there's, some, there's some difficulty there. And we'll, maybe we'll talk about that when we get to Joshua. But we're not going to get into that right now. For now, I want you to see that God is promising to give the land that, Abr- that is Abram's to him gift, and Abram is to receive it, right? And notice that this is the land that that Abram's family had tried to acquire earlier in his life. His father tried to get to the land of Canaan. If you have your Bibles, look at uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. It says there, Terah, Abram's father, uh, took Abram, his son, his family. They left Ur to go to Canaan, but... When they came to Haran, they settled there. So Terah, in his own strength, failed to get to Canaan. And here's Abram, by the grace of God, making his way in and will eventually receive the land. Abram is operating out of God's favor and grace towards him. And he makes it to Canaan. God promises to give him these two things that are going to occupy this story. Now, you might be asking, well, how is this grace? Here's how it's grace. These two things are things that Abram cannot achieve in his own strength. His whole life has demonstrated that he has been unable to have children. And his little band cannot take on the Canaanites and conquer the land themselves. It must be given. Abram is in a position of need and weakness, and God is delivering these things to him or promises to deliver them to them. And it's important for us to settle here because this, this grace of God is a, is, a, is a big deal for us. God has been operating out of grace and favor towards a people since the call of Abram, right down to the present. That our, um, our status as children of Abraham comes by grace as well. Just as the ethnic people of Abraham were miraculously conceived by God, We too are miraculously conceived by the Spirit. We're born again by the Spirit. We're living in grace, in God's favor. And this changes a lot for us. Eugene Peterson says that for Christians, we have to develop what he calls an acquired 
passivity in this life. An acquired passivity. You know, you think of like something that's acquired. If you, we talk about, you know, acquiring a taste for wine or acquiring a taste for, for coffee. It's, it's something that doesn't come, maybe it doesn't, the, the, us liking those things doesn't come naturally. It's not automatic. It develops over time. Passivity, receiving, isn't natural to us. We want to take charge. We want to, you know, grab our lives and just move forward. And for that reason, it's acquired to rest, to receive. And Peterson says that's, that is essential to the Christian life. And this is why it's so difficult. Listen to what Peterson says. Energy and ambition, single-minded purpose, an undistracted and unswerving race for the finish line, an eye-on-the-ball concentration go a long way in making money, acquiring academic degrees, winning wars, climbing Mount Everest, hitting home runs, and we might add winning gold medals. All these things can easily be pursued, Peterson says, without a conscience, without love, without compassion, without humility, without generosity, without righteousness, without holiness. Pursuing things in that manner out of our own strength, that's the Babel approach, which we're to see in, in complete contrast to what God is doing through Abram. It's the story that precedes the Abraham story. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a juxtaposition. It's a contrast. Babel came through by cracking the whip of human might and human strength and human organization and human technology. All of those things were employed to build the tower up. And here's Abram, who has promised to be a blessing to the whole world. And what is he supposed to do to, to be that? He's supposed to sit and he's supposed to wait because these things will be received. He's supposed to be patient, to patiently wait on God to do what God has promised to do. That's Abram's call, to sit and to receive. It will, this, this new creation that Christopher Wright talked about at the beginning, that quote at the beginning, is going to be built from start to finish by grace, by God's kind action towards us. It's not based on our faithfulness to him, but based on his faithfulness to his promises, to his people. And this is why Peterson says we've got to have this acquired passivity. We don't rest well. We don't sit well in the promises of God. Peterson likens this to uh, water. He says, what, what is life lived in grace like? He says, it's sort of like water. He draws upon a writer who, who makes this point. But he says, you know, you, you put your arm in water, like dip your arm in a swimming pool and you move your arm through it and you think, there's no way that this can provide the kind of support for me. There, this, there's no buoyancy to this for me. He says, and, and yet you get into the water and you begin to swim. If, if you fight the water, you start sinking, right? Every little kid, the first time in the water, you're scrambling, trying to stay afloat. But if you just sort of rest in it a bit, if you lay on your back, you, there's buoyancy to it. It holds. But you got to learn how to rest in the water. And Peterson says, look, this is what the life of grace is like. You look at it from the outside, you think, you can't build a life on that. You're going to get trampled. But what you find is you get inside. And you begin living in the grace of God, and God begins, he takes care of you. He holds you. You rest in it. 
And he delivers you. It's, it's the only way to live. And this is so important. You know, C.S. Lewis was asked, What's, what makes Christianity different from every other religion? And without hesitation, he said, grace. Grace is the Christian distinctive. And you may think, man, this guy talks about grace a lot. We, nearly every week it shows up in some way or form. And I want to say that's okay because this is, again, it's acquired. It doesn't come naturally to us. I want to quote, I've, I've got a lot of Peterson quotes, but I, I, it, I think it's, they're worth mentioning. He, he says, you know, he's, he was a pastor for, for fi- more than 50 years. He's passed away in the last few years. But he says this, in 50 years of being a pastor, my most difficult assignment continues to be the task of developing a sense among the people I serve of the soul-transforming implications of grace. A comprehensive reorientation from living anxiously by my wits and muscle to living effortlessly in the world of God's active presence. It's like swimming. Peterson says this. I'm going to continue. The prevailing North American culture, our culture, and he says not much different from the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, all the the cultures in which our biblical ancestors lived. But North American culture is, to all intents and purposes, a context, listen to this, of the persistent denial of grace. That's our context. Our world persistently, stubbornly denies grace. And that's, that's where we live. And that's one of the reasons we have to emphasize it so much. Because if we don't understand grace as a church, as a congregation, this is what's going to happen. We're going to get really fussy, cranky, stubborn, difficult, angry to deal with. Grace is the, is the foundation block of our relating to God as well as those around us. And it's the foundation of our praise and worship. And that brings us to our next point. Gratitude. So grace, now gratitude. Look at uh, verse 7. This is as a result of God's word to Abram about the grace that he would show him by giving him offspring and land. Look at what happens. What does Abram do? He built an altar to the Lord. That's his response to God's gracious message to him. is to worship to build an altar. And that's Christian worship. Christian worship is a, is a response, our response to God's gracious favor and action towards us. It's not an effort to get his favor or to get his grace. It's a response to it. And the, the difference is enormous. Worship is not a plea for God's favor it's a response to his favor and kindness towards us. And, you know, this is developed in the Heidelberg, which we've been, we've been working our way through this Heidelberg catechism uh, for almost a year now. We're almost to the end. And the whole Heidelberg is organized around uh, guilt, grace, gratitude. Gratitude. That's what marks the Christian life. That's what marks Christian worship. And it all flows out of the grace of God. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, listen to how he puts it. Okay, chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans. For the first 11 chapters, he's been explaining the gospel. 
of Jesus and God's gracious and merciful action towards sinners. And in chapter 12, he pivots. And this is what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which I've been explaining for the first 11 chapters of this book, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? To worship, and holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Based upon God's favor and grace in Christ to you, I appeal to you to, to live your lives in worship. Grace leads to gratitude, to praise, to worship. And by the way, it's transforming gratitude. As our hearts give thanks, they're actually transformed by the act of worship. Now, there's, there's an irony to this whole section, and, and the irony is this. The one, the one who is promised the land by the creator of the land is a stranger in the land. So, Abram is promised the land of the Canaanites, and yet, he's a stranger in that land. He's a pilgrim. He's an alien in that land. And by the way, he's promised that land not just by any Joe Blow. He's promised by the Creator God who made the land and made the world and all of its inhabitants. And this brings us to our, our final point, going, right? Abram is going. He's on the move. He's a pilgrim. He's an alien in the land. He's anything but settled. Look at verse 6. He passes through. In verse 8, we learn that he he moves from there to the hill country. In verse 9, he journeys on to the Negev. He's home, only he's not home. He's unsettled. He's on the margins. He's, He's an alien in the land. He's a pilgrim, and and so are we. So are we. God has brought forth his kingdom. He's he's brought it in Christ, but it's it's among us in seed form. Remember, we like to use this phrase that we're a colony of heaven, that we too are pilgrims or aliens in this world, that we're out of place, that that we are, are here in the world growing in the midst of the weeds of the world, which are bent on power and control and driven by fear and pride, all the things that built Babel up are the things that surround us. And the challenge, according to one commentator, Brueggemann, is that the promise of God, he says, the promise of God is never easy to believe and practice. It must always be believed and practiced in the midst of those who practice more effective and attractive ways. Like, Abram sees the Canaanites in their might. And he has to constantly turn from that and say, we're trusting God. Even though this is going to be our land, we're pilgrims now. We're aliens now. And because the world is, operates differently, takes that Babel approach to life, and because we live by grace and gratitude... It's natural that we're pilgrims, right? It's natural that we're alien in the world, that we're different, that there's this keen sense that we are not home. Now, my question for you is this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're a pilgrim in this world? There are, there are many American Christians that are in a panic 
about the state of our country. And admittedly, there, there's some things to be concerned about. But here's the thing. For, for Christians, America is not your home. It's not the promise of... God has not promised America. He's promised His kingdom. And we live as, as aliens in this. And while we're grateful for our country and when we love our country, warts and all, our hope is not in any political movement or party. Our hope is in Jesus. Like, do, do you feel an uneasy relationship with the world? Abram felt uneasy in his relationship with his, with his neighbors. We, Sarah and I, we lived in um, the UK. Which, I mean, if you're, if you're looking across the world and you're trying to find a different culture, the UK is about as close as you can get in still being in another country. I mean, there's not a whole lot of difference there. But still, being over there, we felt a bit out of place. And we were there living with all these international folks from all over the world. We were all aliens in a foreign land. And there was just this feel to that. You just felt a little out of place. And, 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 and just like Abram felt out of place in his setting, the call of Christ is that we are members now of the city of God, living within the city of man, that we're pilgrims. And do you feel the rub of that? Like when you watch the Super Bowl and the halftime show pops up and you see what amounts to like a, a strip show, do you feel, this is not my, this is not my home, I'm a pilgrim. In this land, I, I'm a wanderer in this land. Or when you see racial violence, or you see um, the, the, the economically wealthy exploiting the economically poor, do you say, This is not my home? We're pilgrims in this land. Or maybe when you're at a, at a ball game and the spirit crew comes out, you're, you're at your beloved team's stadium, and the spirit crew comes out, and they got their cannons and they're firing t shirts in your direction. And a little boy on your row opens up the t-shirt and there's your beloved team logo enveloped in a, in a rainbow flag. This, this actually happened um, a couple weeks ago to us. So. Now, listen, this is important. There's a conservative response to that and it's to get angry, to feel like my, my world's slipping away. It, socially conservative, anger. How, what can I do? I'm going to do any, I'm going to find any power I can find. I want to change that by whatever means possible. And then on the other end of the political spectrum, there's kind of celebration. We're finally coming around. I think there's a middle way. It's the way of the pilgrim. The pilgrim realizes this is not my world. Slow to anger. Loving. Gracious. Not upset. Doesn't get bent out of shape but understands they're temporary. And get this, every time we come up with these little rubs in the culture where we feel out of place, rather than despairing, it's, it, it, this, here's the silver lining. It's an opportunity to solidify our pilgrim status in this world. That we're aliens in this world. That this is not our home. It's a tension that must be that is a part of the Christian life. It's our call. It's difficult because we want, in the words of Arcade Fire, everything now. And Jesus says, no, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my kingdom and you will rule and reign with it, but it'll be later. It's going to come later upon my return. In the meantime, you're pilgrims. 
the author of Hebrews, if you have Bibles, turn there. It's, we're going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, gives a good summary of, of this passage here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, uh, and this is reading through verse 10. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live, listen to this, in the land of promise. It was the land that was promised to him. And yet, as in a foreign land, see the tension there, his land, but he lived as in a foreign land. And look at what it says next, intense, temporary dwelling places with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And here's the thing, verse 10, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Do you, see, do you see how this passage summarizes our life in Christ? The grace of God has come to us in Christ. When Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, he received our, our sin and took upon himself our curse. And we get his righteousness and all the blessings that flow from that. Our life is lived in grace. And what does that produce in our hearts? Gratitude. Lives of, of living sacrifice. Of worship of God. And because of that, because we're living so oddly in the world, we're aliens, we're pilgrims, we're different, we're out of place. This is our life. That we, we too, verse 10, we too are looking forward to the city that has foundations. And the foundation is Christ, whose designer and builder is God. Abram's journey is our journey. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you again with gratitude that you have orchestrated such a beautiful plan of salvation for us, your people. And we pray that you would help us to embrace the call to not be tempted towards uh, power or anger or bitterness, but that we would relate lovingly with one another, that we would relate with grace and truth um, in the world, and uh, we pray for your help. We pray that your spirit would continue to work upon us as we've heard your word and as we continue to um, worship and receive the sacraments. Uh, we ask for your blessing and we ask for it in Christ's name. Amen.